So in the run-up to Christmas this year, we're going to the world and for us, his people. Secondly, I'd like us to be assured that when God makes a promise, he always keeps it. By the time we get to Christmas, we will have seen prophecies made more than a thousand years before come to fulfilment. God's timing may be different from our preferences, but it is always perfect. And we're going to see that God is always faithful, and therefore we can trust him in even the most difficult of situations. So look at the great prophecies of the Bible that were fulfilled by Jesus. And we're going to do this for several reasons. First of all, I'd like us to see that the whole Bible holds together. It is one big account detailing the story of God's great love for his And third, and most importantly, we are going to do this series so we can learn more about Jesus himself. Jesus is the most important person in history. He is our friend and our master, our Lord and our saviour, a servant and a king. The whole Bible leads to Jesus and helps us to understand what he has done. And I hope over the next few weeks that we will be left wanting to know more and more of Jesus in our lives. So this is the first sermon in our new series called Pointing to the One to Come. And we are looking at Jesus, the victor. Now there is a victory in life that all human beings need to know has been won. And it's the victory over evil. Even non-believers recognise evil when they see it. William Peter Blatty, the writer and producer of the film The Exorcist, once said, As far as God goes, I'm a non-believer. But when it comes to the devil, well, that's something else. The devil keeps advertising. The devil does lots of commercials. US President Joe Biden thinks we have seen one of those adverts recently. Commenting on the attack by Hamas in Israel on the 7th of October, he said, You know, there are moments in this life, and I mean this literally, when pure, unadulterated evil is unleashed in this world. And the people of Israel lived through one such moment this weekend. Now, none of us would disagree with that. The slaughter of thousands of Jews is an act of sheer evil. And the current suffering of two million innocent civilians in Gaza is also strong evidence of evil at work. In truth, it is simply impossible to make sense of our world with all of its rapes and murders, terrorists and drug traffickers, all the physical and sexual abuse of children and the elderly without reference to evil. Now, it's a quirk of the English language that there is a close connection between good and God and between evil and the devil. Indeed, in both cases, the difference is just one letter. But this connection is informative. Behind all the goodness in the world is God. Behind all that is evil is the devil. But how does the devil work? Well, it always begins by working on ordinary human beings like you and me. 
The parable of Genesis 3 is the ultimate example of this. Evil works on Adam and Eve through the power of doubt and lies and temptation. All in the effort to get them to disobey God and to turn away from his good purposes. I guess most of us know the story quite well. God makes Adam and Eve a beautiful garden to live in. It's stunning, perfect, full of life and there for them to enjoy. And God gave them a far-reaching permission. They were free to eat from any tree in the garden. But there was one rule, one prohibition, if you like, to remind Adam and Eve of their place as human beings under God. They were free to eat from any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was not a difficult command to understand, and it shouldn't have been difficult to follow either. God was even very clear on the penalty should they disobey it. If they ate, they would surely die. And what happens next is like a grand expose on how evil works on us humans. First, there is the raising of doubts. The enemy, in the form of a serpent, slithers up to Adam and Eve and says, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Did God really say? Did he really say? The devil tries to undermine our confidence in what God has said. It tries to make us question our relationship with him. It raises doubts. And then comes the out and out lie. When Eve replies that yes, indeed, God had said that they were not to eat from the one particular tree, otherwise they would die. The serpent replies, you will not certainly die. It's a lie. A complete fabrication. Evil works to reject God's truth. And then comes the temptation. The serpent suggests that there will be a very positive benefit from eating the forbidden fruit. When you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Wow, being like God, wouldn't that be good? All that power and knowledge, being able to do what we want, not having anybody else to boss us around. Freedom and control, wonderful. This is how evil works, through doubts and lies and temptation. Evil has no interest in what is good. The serpent ignored the beauty of the garden that God had given Adam and Eve. It declined to mention the great relationship that they had with their maker and with each other. Now, evil always seeks us to lead us away from what is good, away from God. Its goal is to entice disobedience. Now, when we disobey the good and loving God, when we turn down his good plans and purposes and choose to go another way, there are always going to be consequences. And by definition, they are not going to be good ones. Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit and disaster follows. Damage is done to the human psyche. They're ashamed of their bodies. Damage is done to their relationship with God. They hide from him. Damage is done to their relationships with each other. They squabble and they argue and they blame each other. Damage is even done to the created world that they were meant to look after. Thorns and thistles begin to grow and labour 
becomes incredibly painful. The parable is very clear. Disobedience to the good God leads to bad things happening. It leads to damage and destruction. And every act of evil we see on the TV or read about in the newspapers will have begun somewhere with human beings consciously choosing to believe the doubts and the lies and the temptations of the devil and go their way. As Jesus himself once said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Evil is the great enemy of God, the enemy of his good plans and purposes. It's the great enemy of the beautiful creation in which we live. It's the great enemy of us, God's people. And in light of recent events in Israel, Palestine and other ghastly news stories, we all need the reassurance that this enemy can be defeated. We need a victory to be won. I find it really beautiful that just as Adam and Eve are full of shame and regret for having followed evil and disobeyed, that God makes a great promise to them. In his great mercy, he doesn't leave them berating themselves or so downcast that they write off their entire future. He works to bring them hope. It was their free choice to follow the advice of the serpent. It was their sin that brought death and pain careering into the world. But God made the promise that one day he would sort everything out. He would provide someone who could defeat evil. And so the first prophecy in our series are the words of Genesis 3, 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God promises that one day, Eve, the mother of all the living, will have a son who will crush the head of a serpent. Victory will come in some way through a human being, a child of a very human mother. But at the same time, we already have a good idea that this victor will not just be an ordinary human being. If the parable of Genesis 3 teaches us anything, it's that if we rely on our own resources, evil is stronger than us all. The serpent convinced Adam and Eve, even while they were standing in paradise, that God was withholding his best from them. That actually he was working against them and therefore they should disobey him. Now if evil could convince them of that nonsense, even while they were living in Eden... What chance have we got at standing against temptation? None at all. We will all fall for it, sooner or later. No, this offspring born of Eve who would crush the serpent's head would have to be special in some way. Very special. As well as human, he would have to be God. And of course, as we read on in the Bible, we discover that there would be one such person. And his name was Jesus. Jesus was born of Mary, born of a woman, 
born of a human in the line of Eve. But he was also God, the son of the father, and therefore uniquely qualified to defeat the devil. During his earthly ministry, he displayed signs of his position and power. Jesus travelled the land, undoing the damage of sin and driving out evil spirits. And on one occasion, this led to a great debate. Let me read it to you from Matthew 12. They brought to Jesus a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished, and they said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, Ah, oh, it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judge. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Do you see? Jesus lived his life in conflict with evil. He came to defeat Satan, the devil, and start a new kingdom on earth. And there was only one way by which he could do this. He had the Spirit of God at work within him. Jesus is the only person who could win the victory over evil because he was both fully human like us, but also fully God. Fully a child of Eve and fully a son of the Heavenly Father. So Jesus arrived on the scene thousands of years after this prophecy was written. He was the one who would win the victory over evil. But how would he do it? What would be his method? Well, this prophecy contains a disturbing clue. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, at the same moment that this victor defeats evil, he will be hurt himself. He will crush your head. You will strike his heel. The method of victory would involve suffering. Now, I don't know if you've ever realized this before, but this is what the temptation of Jesus is all about in the Gospels. It's an event so important it's recorded in Matthew, Mark and Luke. Jesus is led out into the wilderness where he spends 40 days and 40 nights. And during that time, the devil comes to tempt him. And three times the devil makes Jesus an offer. And three times Jesus turns it down. Jesus is the only human being who always overcame temptation. The only one who remained fully obedient to his father. But what were those three temptations about? Well, they were all about how Jesus would live his life. How he would achieve his mission. Jesus had come to demonstrate God's love and win the people back. And the devil offers him three ways he could do that at little cost to himself. First, he could buy the people's affection. He could turn stones into bread. Keep the people well fed and satisfied. Then they would love and obey God. 
Second, he could impress them with amazing stunts. He could leap off the highest point of the temple and get caught by a team of angels. When the people saw that, surely then they would believe. Or third, he could just go with power. Out and out power. He could force the whole world to worship him, whether they wanted to or not. These are the three offers that the devil makes. Three shortcuts to fame and success. With the help of the Holy Spirit, Jesus turns down all three. There was only ever going to be one way that he could achieve his ends. Only one way to defeat evil. And that was through suffering love. This would not be a war won with violence, but with sacrifice. The New Testament keeps describing the cross as a place of victory. Let me give you a couple of examples. Hebrews 2.14 Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Or Colossians 2.15 Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross was this place of incredible suffering, a place of pain and torture for Jesus. But it was also the scene of his greatest victory. As he crushed evil, evil struck his heel. But the overall outcome was clear. But why was this the case? Why did Jesus have to die to defeat the devil? Well, the devil's goal in this world is to make us suffer. And it does that by trying to keep us away from God, away from forgiveness, away from knowing Jesus, away from having any joy in our lives. And the devil tries to create that separation by enticing us into sin. But through his death, Jesus defeated that sin. Once and for all. Jesus was human. The son of Eve. So he could die a real human death. But he was also God. He'd overcome temptation. He'd lived a perfect life. And therefore his death was not deserved. So when Jesus died, he took all the punishment for our sin. He paid our penalty and set us free. He pardoned us and made us clean. He removed our guilt and therefore broke the devil's power. At the cross and resurrection, evil was defeated. The devil no longer has a stranglehold over us. Praise be to God for his victory through suffering love. Now it has been said that one of the most helpful ways to think about the current state of this battle between good and evil is to think about the history of the Second World War. On D-Day, the Allies won the decisive victory over the Nazis. From the 6th of June 1944, there was only ever going to be one winner. Hitler's evil regime would never recover. Yet the war was not over on that day. The mopping up operations continued right through to the 8th of May the following year, VE Day. On VE Day, the war ended once and for all. On the cross, 
Jesus won the ultimate victory against evil. The damage inflicted was so great the devil will never recover. Only God is going to win. But presently, evil still thrashes around in its death throes, trying to take as many people with it as it can. And this current situation will only end on our VE day, the day when Jesus comes back to earth at his second coming. On that day, all evil will be removed and the kingdom of God will begin in full. But I guess as we wait for that day, we can all be tempted to get a little impatient. When we watch the scenes from Israel and Gaza and Ukraine, we begin to doubt whether this victory has indeed been won or not. Well, fortunately, the Bible tells us as Christians there is evidence of God's victory and we can see it in our own lives today. Let me read you one more short passage. This is 1 John 3, 7 to 10. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. So notice again, the Bible is very clear. Jesus came into the world to destroy the devil's work. He is the offspring of Eve who came to crush the serpent's head. But now Jesus goes on working in our lives by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is actively engaged in defeating the evil thoughts and attitudes in us. So that slowly but surely we become more like him. So the evidence of Jesus' great victory on the cross and his coming triumph at the second coming is the transformed lives of believers on earth today. Because when Jesus is really in your life, you start to do more good than bad. You start to love others rather than hate them. You start to do righteous acts that attack evil rather than foster it. So here then is the practical dimension to this sermon. We all needed someone to defeat evil. We couldn't do it ourselves and Jesus has done that. And as a result we need to put our trust in him. And if you haven't done that yet I really urge you to do it today. You will know that your sins are forgiven and the power of evil over your life will be broken for good forever. But now that Jesus does live in us we are to continue tackling evil's work in the world. We can pray for the situation in Israel and Gaza and Ukraine. We can pray for the addicted. We can pray against the drug dealers and the traffickers. We can pray for the work of charities who try to break people out of slavery. We can speak the gospel to those locked into a world of psychics and horoscopes and tea leaf reading. To those who don't know the hope and are just surrounded in darkness. We can take action. We can challenge the bullying in the workplace. We can campaign for justice. We can give to Christian charities. When the world sees Christians acting in this way, 
They see evidence of the victory that Jesus has won over evil in all its forms. We've covered a lot of ground today, so it's time to end. Let me just summarize what we've learned. Evil is real. We see its power on the news every day and the misery that it brings. Evil works by enticing ordinary men and women just like you and me into turning against God and his good purposes for the world. But right after the first human sin, God made a promise to defeat evil. An offspring of Eve would crush the serpent's head. He would get injured in the process, but he would win the victory. That prophecy pointed to Jesus. As Christians today, we can be confident that God is stronger than the devil. That Jesus defeated evil at the cross and he's returning to kick it out for good. Our eternal future is full of goodness and love, joy and peace. And as we wait for that day to come, we are to fight on God's side. And allow the spirit in us to tackle the evil that we come across day by day. As we do, may more and more people on Isla see Jesus and his victory in us.